0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. My name is David Sasser. I'm bringing the message today. I, I did... Thank you for the second time. <laughs> Every, all that everyone heard online was just cheering. So that's... I mean, that's good, because I was just, like, just mouthing things and then cheering, and they were like, he's good. I don't know this guy, but he's good. People are already cheering. He's not even talking. So, again, Trenton and Allie are on vacation, so pray for them. Pray that they have a time of connecting with each other, but also a time where they can reconnect with God and just get, you know, rejuvenated and and have just more of his presence when they they come back with us. Um, And then, again, PK and Rhonda are not here this week, Rhonda had her third round of chemo, so pray for them, she woke up feeling a little bit nauseated this morning, Um, so just pray, continual prayer for them, right, just continue to cover them in prayer. So this is week two of our Crash Course Sermon Series, everyone say Crash Course. Uh, I don't know about you, but last week, Pastor Kevin had an amazing word from God, amen? Amen. It was one of my favorite messages that he's ever shared. Um, I, I don't know, it was, maybe it was just for me, but I, I loved it. But the Crash Course, the idea behind this is to be the church. Amen? Everyone say, be the church. So Crash Course, uh, defined as a rapid or intense course of study, a course that teaches you a lot of basic facts in a very short amount of time. So in a way, in the next... so from last week, six weeks of this sermon series, you're going to get like a fire hose of information about how to be the church. All right? Are we all ready for this? To be or not to be? That is the question. To be the church or not to be the church? That's that's what we're trying to figure out. We don't want you to decide to not be the church because as believers and as Christians you are called to be the church. We have been established by Jesus Christ to be the church. The main idea behind this sermon series is Jesus intended the church to be the redemptive center for those who need help, hope and restoration. The church is to be a place of dynamic teaching, creative worship, deep community, effective evangelism, and joyful service. Combined, these renew the hearts and minds of seekers and believers alike. Strengthen families, transform communities, and change the world. We want to be world changers. We we have our identity in this thing called Jesus Christ, and in that, we have our identity that is based in the church because we are Christians, we have an identity that is, that is founded in Jesus Christ and His church. Amen? But who knows this about you? This is, this is my opening question. I'm going to have some, let's say, hard questions today. But who, who knows this about you? Who knows that your identity is founded in Jesus Christ? Who knows that your identity is founded in this love of Christ and His church? Does anyone know this about you? I, I, other than the people that are in this room today, do your coworkers or friends know? Does your, I mean, it'd be hard to keep it from your spouse because they're like, where'd you go on Sunday? <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but do your children see it? Do, do your children see you living out this love of Jesus Christ? Is your inside self a secret to the outside world? So we're talking about evangelism today. Evangelism, reaching the lost. Is your inside self a secret to the outside world? We all keep secrets. I keep secrets. I'm not going to tell you my secrets. You can tell me your secrets if you want. I'm a pastor, so there's like this code that I can't tell anyone else, so but if i tell you you know i don't i don't trust you so i'm not telling you my secrets but but when we keep secrets we have we have this you know this just thing that we're just not telling people it's something inside of us that we just want to keep quiet but what about the people who are on the outside of your secret because when you have a secret and especially when your secret is with somebody else or a group of people, you kind of have this inner circle of the secret keepers, right? But everyone else on the outside of that, I, I can tell you what it does to me, is I have a, a, just this really bad insecurity when it comes to not being in the know about something. When I know that there's something someone's not telling me, it really bothers me. Does it bother anyone else? Any, yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, I hate that. Yeah, so have you ever gone and, and yelled at your TV because you know who the villain is and you're trying to tell the main character, you're like, no, it's them. It's this person over here. Don't, they're acting shady. Can you not even tell? It's, it's tough because they don't ever listen. But being in the know gives us this, this sense of trust and security and this feeling of unity. Right? When we all know the secret, we're all on the same page. So let me let, I'm going to let you in on the little secret. It's like Jesus' little inner circle secret. That Christians are too good at keeping secrets. Especially the secret of Jesus Christ and his power in our individual lives. Jensen Franklin said, if I had the cure for cancer and I didn't tell anybody, I'd be an awful person. If I had the cure for HIV or AIDS and I knew absolutely I could save millions of people's lives and I just kept it myself, you should lock me up and throw away the key. But you and I know who Jesus is. We have the greatest healer, deliverer, and soul saver in the world. His name is Jesus and we need to celebrate it. And we need to communicate it. And we need to tell people like we've never told people before. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen? Because I know I wouldn't be the person today without people living out this life of Jesus, right? This external life of mirroring who Jesus is and his love and compassion. People, people have shown me what that is. I can see it. In other people's lives, and it has changed, it has affected who I am. It's just another way that Christians live out loud. But here's the catch. You can't live out what you haven't experienced. You can't live out what you haven't experienced. You can't display a love for people that you haven't seen, and you can't give grace where you haven't accepted grace yourself. So the sermon title today is found people, find people. Found people, that's us as Christians. If you're not a Christian today, see me after service, we'll get this corrected. Found people, find people. Matthew 28 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Christians, we are told to multiply. God is asking you to multiply His church. It's not something that we just come and we get comfortable with and we stay in our little group and we contain our little secrets and we don't let the world know about this great and amazing love of Jesus Christ. It's the best pyramid scheme on the face of the planet. But I don't, I don't like the word scheme, so we'll call it a pyramid plan. Okay, so the pyramid plan, it's God's plan and, and why do we have this plan? Why do we have this pyramid plan? It's because our neighbors need Jesus. And our city needs Jesus. And our state needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. And I think you can all agree that our world needs Jesus. But where are the Christians showing the love of Jesus Christ? how are they going to see the witness of Jesus Christ without Christians displaying the witness of Jesus Christ? There's a lack of caring or love and unity that Christian believers are just hiding this inside of themselves and they're not displaying a life worthy of their calling. There's this selfishness and self-centeredness that is running rampant in the church today. So many people are so focused on their daily lives and what they have to do next and and getting their kids to soccer practice and, and just worried about all the things that are just contained inside of their little world. And they don't have this outward focus. They're not looking to the world and going, they need something, and I am the one that is to fill that need. It's the new pandemic. I know, no one wants to hear it. Because we're just on the verge of getting rid of masks. June 30th, everyone. No more masks. See, I just had to get a cheer. I figured that would work. This is the new pandemic. It's the pandemic of it's all about me. It's the all about me pandemic. And it's going across our nation and our world. And Christians are going inward where we should be looking outward outside of these walls is where the mission field is. You know, we would expect the world to be in turmoil without the love of God. We would expect that. But is it contained just outside the walls of our church? Sadly, it's not. We as Christians are not even relating to each other in a lot of ways. We are the worst culprits of selfishness. We have this exclusion factor as Christians. As Christians, we are to identify ourselves. Our identity is wrapped up in the name and this person of Jesus Christ and what He did on a cross for us. That's where I, our identity lies. Our identity is who you are, the way you think about yourself, the characteristics and traits that define you. Our individual relationship with Jesus needs to change and transform us inside so that we live a life differently to the world outside these walls. Why? Because found people find people. Found people find people. I said in the beginning we're going to be talking about being evangelists today. You guys know what the word evangelist means? There's I, I brought a couple of different definitions. The first one is the definition you would find if you just Googled evangelist. And it says, it's the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching and personal witness. The biblical definition, so one you would find if you look this up in like a Bible dictionary, is evangelism is teaching, heralding, heralding, proclaiming, preaching the gospel, the message of God that leads us to salvation with the aim, the hope, the desire, the goal to persuade, convict, or convince, or convert, sorry. There's a goal, there's an aim, there's something that we, that we do with purpose that will convince and convict people to change who they are inside, to be more like Jesus. Let's go back to the definition of, that you would just Google, right? There's two things that I wanna point out here. The first one is the public preaching. Now that's what I'm doing today, I'm standing on a stage, and if anybody would like to come up here and take my place, you can. But there's not a lot of people that are gonna come in front of a hundred people and grab a mic and start pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, right? There's not a lot of people with the gift of gab, of standing up in front of people with a microphone or, or wherever it is in a crowd of people and just proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you that it doesn't have to be a lot of words that we speak, it just has to be the right words in the right moment to the right people. The right words, the right moment, to have, in a very intentional moment with someone. You don't have to stand on a street corner in a soapbox. Everyone has a part of this. Public preaching is not necessarily standing, just, you know, doing what I'm doing now. It's just finding the right words in the right moment. And the second one, personal witness, this is where we all can join in on this brigade of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of these walls. Because personal witness is something that we all do. We all take responsibility for our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we go outside the walls, and we start looking a lot more like Jesus Christ to everyone in our circles. When we take the mission of personal witness, we're mirroring what Jesus did for you and me. But there's a problem We as Christians don't always live the way that our faith would tell us to live. So what's going to change people's hearts towards Jesus? What's going to change people's hearts towards Jesus if we're not impacting this world as Christians? PK asked a question last week that was really impactful. At least for me, I, I think you could feel the tension in the room as he asked a question. He said, what kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? Do you guys remember that question? That's a hard question. What would it look like if everyone, if everyone was cloned off of me? What would my church look like? So that leads to our personal ownership of our church, but what I want you to to point to today is a personal ownership of the lost. There's a personal ownership of the lost that we all have to take personally. And so my question to you this week would be, what would the future of the church of Jesus Christ look like if you were the only one on the mission field? If you were the only one displaying the love of Jesus Christ to everyone outside the walls, if every Christian looked like you, what would it look like for the future church of jesus christ what kind of message would be heard would there be a message that was heard i have a false reality and we probably all have a little bit of a false reality of what we look like on our outside because we're so much in our head all the time we always well they should understand what i'm thinking i think don't take this the wrong way, but my wife would probably go, I don't know why he doesn't know what I'm thinking. It's because I don't think most of the time, so I don't obviously wouldn't know what she's thinking. But I have to ask myself, do I really look like a Christian on the outside? Do I really display the love and grace of Jesus Christ when I leave this place? When I'm I'm a Monday through Saturday Christian, does the world see Jesus through me? Does he see Jesus through you? What we look like on the outside matters. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and I love the message version of this. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as a, as a public, as city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open your house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love how Eugene Peterson uses his words here. I love his interpretation of the Bible in this passage. His first one is asking us or telling us to be salt. It's this flavor. It's this seasoning of the world. It's this way that we preserve what God has given us, because those are the attributes of salt. It's a flavoring, and there's a preserving that it offers. So we are to be salt. We are to preserve the church of Jesus Christ as it moves forward. We are to take responsibility for it. We are to grow the church of Jesus Christ, and we are to be light. There's power inside of us that needs to shine out the holy spirit has given you power the holy spirit is there in dwelling inside of you if you allow him to be but is he there just for you or is he there to shine for others what are you allowing him to do so how can you be salt and light to this world that so desperately needs it the answer to that question is found in verse 16 where it says, keep open your house, be generous with your lives by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. It's what we do, I want you to hear this, it's what we do, not just what we believe that will change this world. It's what we do, it's the actions that we take, it's the words that we speak, it's these things that will change the world. It's not just what we believe, because what we believe is something that's for us. It's something that we personally believe that will change our lives, but that is then supposed to change our lives in a way that goes out and changes the lives of other people as a reflection of Jesus Christ. There's an outward focus. God calls us to be fishers of men and women. To be a fisher of men, you become the bait. You become the bait. To become fishers of men, you become the bait. And it's like a light, right? The bugs go to light, right? They're drawn to it. If you throw a lure in a lake or or a river... Fish are drawn to it. There's an attraction there. And as believers, as Christians, we have to be attractive to the world. We have to shine and we have to glimmer and we have to move and be in a certain way that attracts the outsiders. talking about fish. Today I want to talk to you about a man in the Bible that was swallowed by a fish. You like that segue? That was pretty good his name is Jonah. Has everyone heard the story of Jonah? And the, everyone says Jonah the whale. It doesn't necessarily talk about a whale. So it says a big fish. Um, but Jonah was a prophet. And a prophet is defined as a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the Word of God. He is an, an evangelist, okay? He is someone that goes out and tells people about God. He, he listens to God, and God says, go tell this. And that's what he does, But I don't want to talk about a story about Jonah and the whale. I don't want to talk about Jonah and the big fish. That's not why we're here today. I don't want to do that. Every time I hear this story, I think about Jonah and the fish. But today I want to talk about Jonah and the rest of his story. Because it so mirrors our current circumstances and our current Christian culture. So at first, Jonah was told by God to go to this great city of Nineveh. And in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And I don't know if you know much about uh, history in this, but this is the first time that God has ever spoken to a prophet in the Old Testament and said, go to a Gentile nation, a Gentile city, right? This, a Gentile is not Jew. That's what it d- is defined as. So Jonah is told to go to an enemy nation. The great city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were terrible and brutal people. They were enemies of the nation of Israel. Assyrians were so brutal that they would actually, in, in battle, they would cut off one of the hands of their enemies, they would cut off both of the legs, leaving one hand and one arm, and they would shake the hand of their enemy as they're dying, just to mock them. These are the people that God told Jonah to go to. But Jonah hated them. He did not, I mean, they're your enemy, right? So you wouldn't want to go to your enemy and said, hey, hey, brutal people. Um, God's giving me a warning for you. He's going to destroy you. I wouldn't want to be that person. You're probably putting yourself in a bit of danger. And also, Jonah knew that God was merciful and that God would probably save them. So Jonah didn't want these people to be saved. Jonah wanted justice. So chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Oh, I skipped forward a little bit. Sorry. Sorry. Jonah ran from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he turned the other way. He ran from God. He, he paid passage on a boat, and he's going to Tarshish, which, which is the complete opposite way of where Nineveh was, where a huge storm came up. Jo- Jonah's sleeping in the, in the middle of the boat, and everyone's freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard. They finally figure out this is Jonah's fault, right? They cast lots. They're like, this is Jonah. What did you do? And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm running from God. You guys might as well throw me overboard. Kill me. Kill me. And they try not to. They pray to God. They're like, God, please save us. We don't want to have to kill your servant, God, but it wasn't working, so they had to throw him overboard. And as soon as he hit the water, the waters calmed down, but Jonah's still sinking. Jonah's going under. What happens? The big fish. The big fish comes, saves Jonah, and in the belly of this fish, Jonah says, okay, now, God, if you save me, I'll do what you want me to do. Now I'll, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh and, and proclaim this warning. So God sends the whale over to the shore of Nineveh, and the whale vomits. I love how the Bible's... Like, very descriptive here. Vomits up Jonah onto the shore. I'm sure he smells amazing. He travel and God's like, hey, second time. Go to Nineveh. Give him this warning. Right? So Jonah goes into Nineveh and starts proclaiming, hey, God's coming. His wrath is coming. You're going to be destroyed. Well, all the people of Nineveh, all these pagan, Gentile people turned their hearts towards God and in repentance began putting on sackcloth. And they began to have this uh, season of fasting and prayer. And, And the king found out, and the king was like, no, there's a decree going across the land. Everyone, put on sackcloth. Don't even feed your animals. No food, no water, nothing. We don't want God to destroy us which is odd because you have these Gentile pagans who is doing exactly what God wants them to do, but you have Jonah the prophet who doesn't. Well, Jonah gets really upset with this. Because he's like, I knew it. I knew it, God. I knew you would be gracious. I knew you would save these people. The enemy of Israel, you're saving. And so Jonah throws a fit. And he goes and he sits on the hillside, just waiting to see if the Ninevites would change their mind. And, and he was hoping, just hoping that God would then destroy Nineveh. So he's up there and he's just waiting. And this bush comes. God feels kind of bad for him, maybe. And he makes this bush to shade him. And Jonah's like, man, this is really nice. Shade. Amen. Because it's like 115 today and we could all use a little shade. So feel a little bit for Jonah right now. He's out in the hot sun. God provides some shade for him. And, but God also provides a little worm that eats this tree. And it dies and it withers. And the book of Jonah ends because jo- Jonah was very, very upset that this bush was then taken from him. Now he's in the hot sun. But the Lord answered Jonah, and he said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and also so many animals? Because God was so concerned for the people of Nineveh that he sent his prophet the very first time to go to a pagan nation. Jonah was so upset. As as I read the story of Jonah again, I I always come back and I'm like, Jonah, dude, why wouldn't you have just done what God told you to do? If you were a prophet, That's kind of your job. God tells you to do something, you do it. That's literally like the definition of prophet. And so I get so judgy when it comes to Jonah. How many people here can get a little bit judgy when it comes to Jonah? Right? Quite a number of us. At least the brave ones that raise their hand this much. But there's so many times where I get so judgy, but when I read it this time, and and God revealed it to me this way because he wanted me to use it for this sermon, that I'm a lot like Jonah because there's so many areas and so many different things in my life that God tells me to do, that God asks me to do, and I don't do them. I go the opposite way. I turn and I run. I don't want to do them. I just don't want to do it. And I think a lot of us are a lot more like Jonah than we want to think. It's not, it's not comfortable to think that you could be like this person that is so angry at God and he turns the other way and has to be forced by being swallowed by a fish to turn his heart. We don't want to think that that is us as Christians, but it is. Because do you give your tithes and offerings the way that God asks you to give? Do you give your time and your efforts and your abilities in service to the church? Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your children? Are you having intentional conversations with co-workers? Are you leaning into others' lives? Are you on mission for Jesus Christ? This is the tension today. Are you Jonah? Are you, are, are you doing everything God is asking and telling you to do? Because if you're not, you're, you have turned the other way and you're, you're headed to Tarshish, wherever that is. I want you to look at your life and I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Would someone look at me and see something better than the current way they're living? would someone look at, at your personal life and go there's something about them that I I just want to be more like them they have something that they're keeping secret from me that I want to know more about does that define your life because it doesn't mean you have to be popular and it doesn't mean you have to be wealthy it doesn't mean you have to have your life figured out it doesn't mean you have to be attractive in the physical sense, but you have to be attractive in a spiritual sense. So point number one today, as we discover a little bit more about Jonah and his story, point number one is to find people, we must become found people. To find people, we must become God's people first. First. True believers, true Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ. Because when the body of Christ is broken, it's handicapped. When the body of Christ is broken, it's handicapped. See, Jonah realigned some of his identity in his story. Jonah was was saved by identifying his wrong and realigning his identity with what was right. He ran there was a storm, he was thrown overboard, he was going to die, but Jonah in this, in this story realized that he was at fault here, that the only way to change things was to realign his life with Jesus Christ. And even though Jonah knew he was going to die, he was still willing to do the first self-sacrificing thing we read in this story, where he turns to the sailors and says, throw me overboard so you can be saved. The first self-sacrificing thing that Jonah does. Finally, finally, Jonah's turning the page. So Jonah's thrown over, and Jonah was saved by something bigger than himself. God showed up in the form of a big fish. When Jonah realized his wrong, when he realized that his identity was going in the opposite direction of where God wanted his identity to be foundationally based, Jonah realized that other people's lives matter. And Jonah made the sacrifice. He didn't know he was going to be saved by a fish. He thought he was going to die. He's sinking. And the only thing that saved him was the grace of God. Jonah found his identity again while he was in the belly of a fish. I pray that it doesn't come to that with you. Recently, there was an actual man, a lobster fisherman, that was swallowed by a whale. And he was only in there 30 seconds, not three days. And in the Bible, it says Jonah was in the belly, the stomach of the fish, where this man was just merely in the mouth. And he said it was a horrible experience. So can you imagine being in the belly. But Jonah had a prayer inside the fish, a prayer to God. He realized that he had wronged God, and he had kept himself, he had kept the mission of God from Nineveh. So he prayed to God, and I have two slides of this, just letting the media team know I I want you to go to the second slide on this. I just want to read the last part of this, where Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah knew that he had made some idols in his life. He had turned from God, and now he's willing to step in and do some things that are right. God, I'm going to, I'll do it. God, I'll do it. Just give me a second chance. I'll do it. I'll do it right. I'll, I'll proclaim your salvation. So Jonah starts chapter 3 in a very different way. So Jonah's prayer is pretty long prayer. I was going to read it today, but running out on time. So read it yourself. There's only four chapters in Jonah. Chapter 2 is all, it's just the prayer. It's a very, really short book. So chapter 3 starts with Jonah doing something different. The story resets here. Jonah 3.3 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So from chapter 1 to chapter 3, the story completely resets. Jonah has re-found his identity. He is re-leaning into the mission and the gospel that he has been proclaimed to go out and, and shout to Nineveh. Jonah finally turned to obedience. If God is the God in your life, if God is God in your life, then you know the importance of obedience. God asks for obedience. Christ is not merely a part of our story. We need to make Him the center of our story. He's not an additive. He's not something that we add on to the story of our life. He's not a convenience. He is something that we fully invest our lives into, we sacrifice ourselves to him as, as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on a cross for us. We go into full obedience. When you take on the veil of Christianity, when you step into relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something that needs to change inside of you, and you need to step into obedience. Jonah renewed his relationship with God. He was realigned in his status of a found person. Because found people find people. Point number two, to find people, we must give grace. You guys are really going to like this next part. You will never reach people you despise. You will never reach people you despise. Has anyone ever heard the phrase, uh, or the, the, the words, we the people? What is that? Where is that from? It's the Constitution of, you, of the United States. And when I say we the people of the United States of America, what does that do? Does that, oh man, kind of puff up a little bit? Woo! Proud American here. I'm a patriot. Is that that what it stirs up in you? We, We should be proud. We should be proud of our nation. But can you love your country too much? Can you love your nation too much? Because that's exactly what Jonah did. He loved his people so much that he would turn from God Because he wanted justice for his enemy of his nation. In the beginning of the book, Jonah was really upset. You don't run from God unless something upsets you. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel, and Jonah was a patriot. He loved his people more than he loved to seem, more than he seemed to love his God. He was so invested in his people that he would rather see the justice brought to his people than the word of God reach the lost. The despise Jonah had for the Assyrians separated him from God's plan. Jonah's identity was tied to his country of origin and not to God, his creator. There was an exclusion this word exclusion is not taking someone or something into account, apart or accept. There's, you don't accept someone. You're, you're excluding them from your life. When there's someone or something you don't like, but God tells you to go there anyways, and you turn and run, you, there's a dividing line. You have made that thing a God. You have made that thing an idol in your life, and you need to recognize it. As Christians, we are really good at exclusion. We can even elevate ourselves above others, knowing, hear this, knowing that our way is right and theirs is wrong. The wrong we see in others prevents us from evangelizing. It stops us from being Jesus. When we see that our way is right and their way is wrong, and we're taking this hard dividing line of saying, I'm not Crossing this line. They have to come to my side before I'll talk to them about Jesus. That's not what Jesus did. That's not the example that Jesus laid for us. Jesus went into towns, he sought out people, he touched people's lives individually. He didn't wait for people to come to him, he was present. Are you putting your rights above the mission? Have you loved the lost? Have you loved the protesters? Have you loved, fill in the blank, the other political party? Are you loving people beyond your comfort, beyond your feelings about those people? I'm not saying go and give the protesters a hug. I probably wouldn't be safe. Don't do that. But are you praying for them, or are you praying that our state and our towns would be saved from them? There's a dividing line. To follow Christ, we must imitate Christ. We must be like Christ to be on mission with Christ. Does it bother you to know that Christ laid his life down for the protesters, for the the fill-in-the-blank opposite uh, political party, your in-laws? I know it got really dark right there, but what about the co-workers you just can't stand to be around? What about the waiter who's just really rude today? What about that person that's just driving way too slow on high five? Amen. Yeah, I feel that. Does it bother you to know that Jesus Christ laid his life down for everyone? That no one is excluded? That this love that Jesus has shown people is not exclusive to Christians? Number three, to find people, we must show love. Show love. There's a lot of ways that you can define love. There's a lot of ways that the Bible defines love. The love I'm talking about today is a love that can be seen. It's a love that can be felt. It's something that we display for others. Going back to Matthew 5, it talks about the salt and the light. Right, Salt is something that you can taste. And light is something that you can see. There's a physical aspect to it. God told Jonah to go. There's a physical act that started this story. God said, Jonah, go. Jonah had to pick up his feet and start walking. Too bad he went the wrong way. Our love for each other needs to define who we are not our love for each other, but our love for each other expanding outside of these walls. Because we are all, listen, we are all God's people. We must identify ourselves with the one who is love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. I'm not even going to read the rest of that. God so loved the world, He didn't just love Julie or Daryl. God wasn't exclusive in His love. God so loved the world, He gave the most important thing. He gave of Himself, He gave His Son. The greatest love that you could ever show is the love of substitution. Because the love that God gave us was a substitutional love. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Our sins were substituted with the life of a God. Substitutional love. We have to embody that, we have to embrace that, we have to emulate that. This means you're going to have to get rid of something in your life so that you have time to add something else to your life that is important to somebody else's life. Not, I'm going to add something to my life because, man, it feels good. No, get rid of that. Get rid of the hate. Get rid of the despise. Get rid of the separation lines and add love, and grace, and mercy to your life, because it's important for somebody else. Stop looking inward. We have to own the church, and in owning the church, we have to own evangelism. We have to own evangelism. This world needs The the world needs to see the love of God pouring out in practical ways in front of them. They need to see the kindness and compassion. They need to be offered grace. They need to find the love of Jesus Christ reflected in every single one of us. How do we practically show love? How do we do that? Let's go back to the story of Jonah. Jonah Jonah displayed love by taking a walk. I know. I'll get there. Hold on. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and then proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overcome. Jonah knew that he had to get to the heart of things. He knew that he couldn't stand on the outskirts of the city and yell inward. He knew that he had to go inside of this great city. He took a day's journey inside of this great city to proclaim this message from God. You can't affect people's lives from a distance. you got to get in their mess. You got to step into relationship with people. You got to walk shoulder to shoulder with people. You got to you got to get a little dirty with them. You got to get a little messy with them. I bet Jonah saw a lot of yucky things when he was walking in that city. They're an enemy. They're an enemy of Israel. There's these brutal people, but did it deter him from his mission? No, it did not. Found people find people. We are all called to be evangelists. Everyone say, "I am called to be an evangelist." I know it's a big word. Get over it. You're called. You're called? God has given us all the same mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around this world. Jonah used his story to reach others. We need need to use our story to reach others as well. Because when they know you care, then they will listen to what you share. When you walk life with other people, when you embrace their struggles, when you understand what they're feeling, they're going to know that you care about them. And then when you share your life, when you share Jesus Christ with them, they're going to understand and they're going to they're going to feel this love and grace and mercy and compassion and kindness that Jesus offers. They're going to understand this. They're going to they're going to want it. They're going to pursue it in their own lives. Because you've You've walked to the heart of their city. And you've done an incredible work for Jesus Christ. So what I want you to do today as we close, I want you to grab your your phones or whatever device you have. If you don't have a phone, maybe a pen or paper. And I'm hoping that as you've heard this message today, maybe something's been stirred in your heart. Maybe you're thinking about the one or three coworkers that you just really can't stand to be around. Maybe you have a neighbor that's just really difficult. Maybe you have some family members that you just don't want to hang out with anymore. I want you to write their names down. And I want you to purposefully, purposefully live out a life of love in front of them. I want you to write their names down and I want you to pray for these people. I want you to walk by them with a smile. And when they yell at you or when they come at you, and don't, don't respond in the same way. Respond with love and respond with grace. Because we're all in the same playing field. We all need grace. And we all need love. Will you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word today. God, thank you so much for the life of Jonah, God, to where he, he can do the wrong, God, so we can see what's right. God, I pray that we would own our church today. God, I pray that we would own evangelism today. God, that you're speaking, your Holy Spirit is speaking to the lives and the hearts of people today. Again, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for Your love and Your grace and compassion. God, I pray that You would continue to pour that into our lives, God, as we relearn what it is to identify with You in those ways. God, as we relearn what it is to go out and seek the lost, God, as we continue to grow and expand Your church, Jesus, God, give us strength. God, let the Holy Spirit come and just fill us up every single day. God, just a new beginning every single day in you. Yeah, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, thank you guys so much for coming today. Thank you guys for joining us online. You are dismissed. Please don't die in the heat. Okay, may God spring up a plant above you without worms that will cover you with shade. You guys are dismissed. If you guys need some prayer, our prayer team is up here, people that would love to connect with you in in this fashion of prayer. If you need that, go ahead and come up front. Everyone else, you guys have an amazing week, stay cool. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.